Hey there, podcast listeners. Welcome to Engendered, the show that features stories that explore the systems, practices, and policies that enable gender-based violence and oppression and the solutions to end it. We use gender as a lens to understand power and oppression, teach feminism, and decolonize hearts and minds one story at a time. Engendered is sponsored by Can Do It, spelled K-A-N-D-U-I-T, and I'm your host, Terry Yuan. Welcome to this episode of Reflections, Michael. Hi, Terry. Thank you for having me again. We're going to be looking back on the episodes on beauty, fashion, and lifestyle from episode 89 with Erica Garretts on beauty and how it's all fluff, episode 90 with Lynn Power on managing Me Too as a former advertising executive, and her business, Masami, episode 91 with Marjorie Lau on Marlowe Hydroponics Skincare, episode 92 with Julie Raskin of the Foundation for New York's Strongest on Zero Waste in Building a Cleaner, Greener New York City, episode 93 with Aditi Mayer on Sustainability and Decolonizing Fashion, and finally, episode 94 with Etienne Percy of 90-something Magnolia on Building a Sustainable Fashion Brand. Whew, that's a lot. What did you think about the breadth and the mix of episodes in beauty, fashion, and lifestyle? Did you feel like it gave you a good foundation for exploring more? Did you feel like it gave you a thorough foundation? What was your initial reaction? So initially, because we we started with uh, Erica's episode, at first I thought, uh-oh, this is something that I am not familiar, familiar with. And I'm A, I'm going to probably learn a lot. Um, as I usually do, but B, I, I don't know if I could relate, I thought initially. But then as I heard the other episodes, I think that I have a more broad understanding of uh, what fashion is and how it affects us. And even if you feel like you don't use these products, you still are contributing in many ways by both building a culture and and either supporting that these ideas or working against them. So there is a lot to talk about. And I felt better after listening to all of them because it gave me a better understanding of fashion and how it relates to me personally. So you talked about culture. That was a word that came in. So yes, there was definitely an aspect of culture that we were trying to interrogate. The ways in which beauty is constructed, for one thing, and how specifically femininity and beauty So obviously beauty, fashion, and lifestyle, it applies to both men and women and gender non-binary folks, but women in particular are the largest consumer of beauty products and are the target for consuming a lot of clothes and uh, lifestyle products. And so that brings to mind the economics of it. What did you think about the economics of the industry and its key drivers? Overall, I felt that, that there's responsibility both on the consumer and the different companies that shape that culture, right? For what we thought was acceptable back in the 90s and in the 80s and commercials, I felt that right now it's a different time. And I think culture has shifted to something somewhat more progressive. But despite the progress that we've made, I do feel that there's so much things that we still have to work on. And I... I have more of an understanding and like you said, find words that will help us better define what the issues are. 
And I think that, again, with, with all of these different industries and the, the knowledge that's now available, I think people are becoming more conscious of how they choose their beauty products. Society as a whole has a responsibility on making the best decision based on the knowledge that we've gained uh, by voting for what is important with our dollars. Uh, so society as a whole, but that's a collective responsibility, but what about individual responsibility? So a lot of companies, I feel, have a big responsibility, both in the advertisement side, where when I mean, you're choosing to present, uh, represent some people and not others, whether you're deciding to, to be more uh, gender neutral on some products or trying to target wider audience to the fact that in some industries, you have a responsibility of not ab abusing uh, child labor laws or uh, sacrificing, sacrificing uh, humans in order for to gain profit, right? So I, I think uh, it, it's sometimes uh, companies uh, have a huge responsibility to take the moral high ground. You were saying a lot of things there. Let's break it down a little bit. So the first thing that I hear you say is that you talked about advertising and media and the influence of mainstream media. And coincidentally, there was a film that was discussed in at least two episodes. I don't remember if it was more. A documentary called Misrepresentation. Mm -hmm. I believe we discussed it with Erica Gerritz. We also definitely discussed it with Lynn Power. And Misrepresentation is a documentary that explores how mainstream media and culture contribute to the underrepresentation of women in positions of power in America. It also explores the sexualization of women and girls and the ways in which femininity is defined and shaped by the media and how girls respond to that. And so, in other words, girls and women define our self-worth very much so through the ways in which we look, we dress, our youth, our age, and, and, and how closely we can conform to those ideals in the purchases that we make with regard to makeup and fashion, etc. And so what role do you think the media should have and companies should have when they're trying to sell clothes and beauty products ethically and responsibly? What shifts should they make? Here's where I think it's, it's tricky for companies, right? Because on one hand, they want to make as much money as possible. And if that's what their main driver is, then I feel that that's a really bad thing because um, you can, I'm sure that there's a very unethical ways of making money. But at the same time, if you're taking surveys and you're looking into what the culture is already there, and if you're catering to that culture to, to reinforce some of these bad stereotypes that have already existed, and, and then you're, you're marketing to that, I think, I think that's where a company should look into to see if you can make changes, right? I think um, a lot of the companies that you're supporting uh, through your podcast, they take the opposite approach where money isn't the main driver where it, it's mostly what is the message? What is, what is it that we're trying to come across? And I think that these are the types of companies that we should be supporting. Those are the positive changes, right? There was a company that, and, and I forget the name of the company, but um, it, was, uh, it, it was basically a company that, was, that, that allowed its workers in Australia to contribute to, to the decisions in that company 
So the, the Inspiral it, Network. Spiral Network, yes, the Inspiral Network. So basically, if if a company is more focused on on what message they're trying to get across and focused on helping employees and, and just operating in a in a in a morally sound way, I feel like that's that's what it is that we should be supporting. So when it comes to uh, making sure that the environment that your products are not hurting the environment as much as possible, or that they are following labor laws and they're not exploiting the vulnerable, I think that's where we should be. That's where our focus should be. That's where companies should be making the change. This word uh, comes up a lot in our interviews recently, and it certainly is a tagline for the Engendered podcast, which is decolonizing. Our podcast is about decolonizing hearts and minds through the teaching of feminism. And so every episode, there's a, a lesson to be learned in terms of how feminist values can be integrated into our practices, our traditions, our culture, etc. And we had interviewed Edgar Villanueva previously about decolonizing wealth. And this term decolonizing came up again with the DT mayor in terms of decolonizing fashion. I think it's very important that you define decolonization as it's something that we, we use pretty often. And it's, I don't think it's a word that we typically use in everyday conversation. And so, yeah, I think part, but, you know, you, when you mentioned Inspiral Network, they are an organization with lots of companies that they're building that is uh, focused on integrating what essentially are feminist values into business. Um, so that was an extension of our conversation with C.V. Harcoil on feminism and business. And so what you're saying, I hear you saying, Michael, is that really decolonization involves also integrating feminist values. And so to the extent that we can name it and destigmatize feminism and actually understand the ways in which feminist values are beneficial to not just us individually, but collectively as a society, I think that's something that we really need to figure out how we can better have those conversations and expand the discourse so that more people are involved. Absolutely. I, I do think that um, that's important. Also, that uh, companies also listen to what it is that is important to to their customers, right? I think in Erica's episode, she she mentioned that there were a lot of surveys that she did and her company to make sure that she understood what the needs of millennials were, for example, and see and, and see what's inspiring to them. There's a lot of people, I feel, that already understand what feminism is and aren't afraid of it. And I think it, it's something that should be spread. And so, like, if we support these companies and, and making them more mainstream, then it would help with um, informing other people. Because... A lot of times people don't seek out things like podcasts or they, they just listen to what they hear in the media. And I think that if we keep that into, into perspective, then we can hopefully help spread those values. Erica's take on beauty with her company, It's All Fluff, literally through her name, she's poking fun of the beauty industry and saying beauty is all fluff. And, right. and her products are really less about the products because she doesn't have a large number of um, actual products that she's selling, but she's trying to sell 
a whole lifestyle as well in terms mm-hmm. of sustainability and natural beauty. And it's about minimizing what you put on, but having higher quality and making sure that the products and the raw ingredients are sustainable, sustainably sourced, etc. So what do you think about that beauty and, and makeup? Because we are recording this in the midst of a lockdown. And one of the things that people I think are consuming less of is definitely beauty products and clothes. And I think that I've seen a lot of memes that have shown that it's not as important. Yeah. Well, especially since we're not going out as much, right? We're only going out for the essentials. It's something that that this industry is probably going to take a hit. But one of the things that was mentioned in that episode is, is more of the expressing individuality. So like just that is something that can be used not just in makeup, but also in other parts of your life, just expressing your individuality and how promoting that is a very good thing. Even though we're not going out as much, there are still things like Zoom meetings and things that people may still be able to express their individuality in other ways. And beauty itself, one of the things you were talking about earlier in terms of targeting larger audience is that beauty itself has traditionally represented a one view of beauty, which is, you know, white female beauty uh, and doesn't necessarily celebrate differences in appearance and ethnicity and body type, etc. And the fact that you're saying that Erica's focus on individual expression is new, I agree with that because so much of beauty is about conformity, looking a certain way, even if you don't have the natural physical features to adhere to those norms. How do you feel that beauty has changed in the student population and the millennials that you've worked with? Do you see a difference in how they consume beauty and how they define beauty in themselves? To be honest with you, it's not something that I have focused on. But one of the things that you mentioned is, and you mentioned this more than once throughout these six episodes about Kim Kardashian and, and how it seems like that's more of a conformity and people are just seeing as, as that's what beauty is to them. And I think that depending on the population, I, I, I feel like I usually work with uh, out-of-school youth in, in an urban setting. And I think that, I don't think that white beauty is, oh no, actually it does appear a lot because there, there's a lot of girls that, and I've heard it expressed where they wear wigs or they do try to conform to that ideal form of beauty. Hair is something that they that I, I've heard a lot. So I think there is a big influence there, but not with everybody. I do think that there are a lot of students that I have dealt with that at the same time, they do want to express their individuality. And, and the population that I work with is very diverse. So we have a little bit of everything. But yeah, I can only say anecdotally. Do you feel that when young people that you work with, when they're not conforming to the traditional standards of beauty, do you feel like they're doing it consciously or it's an unconscious thing? Like, are they consciously interrogating how they spend their money? Are they saying, oh no, I don't want to look like that because I know that this industry is trying to get me to buy products to look like that. And the implicit message is that I'm not good enough and I am good enough. I do have self-worth and I'm choosing not to help them make more money at my own expense. I think it really depends. Again, it would really depend on the individual because I can think of a couple of students who will consciously make decisions like that, where they're like, no, I, I don't even want to support this company because they're not making good decisions. But I would say the majority of people, not just my students, but even people that I speak to, 
and some of them are around that, like in their 20s, 30s, they don't really consciously think about these things. I feel that the culture is such that they do want to, even in terms of family members, right? I think that they, they just, they, 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 to them, they feel that conforming is just the right thing to do. And being outside of that is a little bit, I guess, icky. I don't know. One of the things that you mentioned with Erica also that kind of relates to this is how being caught without makeup is something that's bad. And it's something that I have definitely seen with uh, a lot of people that, 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 that have worn makeup for, for long periods of time and that they just, if they're not wearing makeup, it's, it's different. Like, I think that that's something that's very prevalent. And I, so, so like, well, yes, there are a couple of people that do consciously think about where they're, how they're voting with their dollars. I think, I th- and they care about individuality. I do think that the standard isn't that. I do I do feel like conformity is something that people are not paying attention to as much and they just happen to fall in. Another theme that's that runs through these episodes is this concept of sustainability. So uh-huh. there's the sustainability with respect to uh, the supply chain. So defining the supply chain as the processes by which a product is sourced and distributed. So understanding that the beauty industry in particular historically has been criticized for testing on animals, for example, to make sure that the um, products are safe for human use, right? And so that's been for many decades um, a source of complaint by animal rights activists. And now there's so much of a push towards making sure that the products are sustainable in its raw materials. And so, for example, Lynn Power, who just founded Masami, a natural hair products company, and Marjorie Lau, who founded Marlowe Hydroponic Skin Care, you know, both of their products are based upon sustainable sources of raw materials and sustainable processes for production. Right. And the process of disposal of our products, because so much of our products that we consume are plastic products, clothing, for example, a lot of it is synthetic in its sourcing. And so there's there's this effort to also create zero waste. So what are your thoughts around sustainability in terms of the consumption and disposal of products. Is that something yeah. these series of episodes helped you think more about? There's a couple of, when it comes to TV, there's a couple of episodes of, that I can think of that puts this out in the forefront where people have an understanding of how detrimental some of these things are. So one of the things is uh, Hassan Minaj uh, in the Patriot Act mentioned, uh, had an episode on fashion as well as John Oliver who both kind of explain how from the labor where the different organizations that uh, like the Gap are exploiting uh, labor in a lot of countries in order for them to make products quickly and, and very fast. And so there's just this over the uh, amount of, of clothes. There's just people just continuously buy and buy and buy clothing. And in terms of the disposal where you're getting rid of clothes and if it's not organic, it's using things like polyester and these microplastics that hurt the environment. It's something that's very damaging to the environment. But the thing is, especially in the fashion industry, right? I believe not too long ago, about at least about a year ago, 90, I believe over 90, well over 90% of all our clothing is outsourced. It's not made in the United States. 
And that means more than likely there's a lot of uh, child labor that has gone into the, the creation of our clothing. So I think that it's really difficult as a consumer to make a decision, an ethical decision on, on, on say, like the clothing that you wear, because no matter what you do, it's going to affect the environment in a negative way. I know that, uh, so one of the shows that I really, really like is The Good Place. And one of the things that they mentioned, it, and, and I'm not going to give away any of the, uh, of the plot, but one of the things that in the show they talk about is the fact that a long time ago, if a person decided to go and pick some flowers and give it to their, to, to their grandmother, that's a nice thing. If there was a point system for the good things that you've done, that would give you points. But nowadays, if you decide to do the same thing, then that's actually a bad thing that you're doing overall for the world because it's become so complicated that from the flowers that you're picked, the, the, the labor that's being used uh, to pick those flowers unethically and the companies where CEOs are doing horrible things and sexual harassment and just like there's so many things contributing to the simple act of buying flowers. It's an overall negative thing. So I think it, it's something that since the world has become so complicated, people have to really pick their issues and see what it is that's important to them. Is convenience more important or is, is the fact that the moral issue of which company you're going to support, these are things that people have to really consciously think about and it has to be in our everyday conversation. And just like your last guest, conversation and, and having conversations is extremely important for us to become more aware about these things. You were talking about Etienne Percy when he was talking about his 90-something Magnolia company and how his focus is on having conversations with, conversations with other entrepreneurs and to celebrate the process of creativity. Absolutely. So, yeah, so not just for creativity, but I also think for us to be aware of the decisions that we're making, both financially and socially. This is very interesting, the fact you were talking about the flowers, I mean, my first thought when you talked about picking or buying flowers is bees. We know that there's a, a dwindling population of bees who are now on the endangered species list. And mm -hmm. if you have fewer flowers, you have l less for them to pollinate and they're you know less able to contribute to the food supply chain, right. which goes back to the idea of plastic as well, because when we were talking with Julie and I believe Aditi as well, there were conversa our conversations delved into the microplastics that show up in our oceans and how fish and other sea life, possibly ones that we consume, may be contaminated because of the consumption of clothing and other products that we have every day that we don't properly dispose of that end up in, this, in the ocean waters. Yeah, from the bees to to the disposal of our clothing products or just any products in general or recycling. A lot of these things contribute to the overall negative that we're hurting in our environment and socially too. I think the world is complex. And I think instead of putting a lot of the focus on the individual, it's important for us to also attribute some of the responsibility on the companies and the CEOs that are making these ultimate decisions of, of how they're going to source their products and how they're going to dispose of them. Doesn't that go back to the individual, though? We choose as individuals what companies to invest in, what companies to support as consumers. And if there are companies, like you said, you know, you mentioned Gap, um, but Aditi talks about a lot of other companies that are in the fast fashion industry where 
the products are made cheaply without any regard or with little regard to workers' rights in the global south. And those products are consumable and affordable to us because we're exploiting the, the labor in the, in the beginning of the f- top of the f- supply chain. And oh. at the same time, those products you know, are made of plastic or synthetics, and then we dispose of it. They don't last long. They're not high quality, and we continue to buy, which is why certain companies have 12 cycles of, of clothing. Every, every several weeks, they have new clothes. Now, obviously, it's different under the pandemic where nobody's going out to buy clothing, and the retail industry is definitely one at the top of the industries that is being hard hit economically. But it also goes to show, I think, that we don't really need fashion so much as often as we've purchased it, and that it's something that we've been acculturated to think that we need. Right. But then I'm not saying that people overall aren't in part responsible, but if the wealth gap is increasing so much more, where more and more people are have less and less money, it's really difficult for them to then expect them to pay more for products, which paying a little more for the products that are sustainable and, and that are good for the environment, while you, they have the option of you know eating and buying cheaper clothing. I do, though, agree that we shouldn't be constantly buying as much clothing as possible and for us, our culture to put such an emphasis on clothing and uh, on products like in makeup that may ultimately uh, hurt the environment and and I, I think I, I think blame is not just I, I, I think proportionally, I, I feel like companies have more access to make a decision, big decisions like that than the individuals. I think, yes, the individuals are part responsible and they do have a lot of responsibility. But I do think that it's easier or uh, a CEO's decision is probably going to be much more impactful than any one individual. Well, you know, getting back to the role of the individual, right before this lockdown, we had a lot of people standing in line for game, what is it called? GameStop? Yes. (laughs) And certainly we know that some of the longest lines that people stand in line for include shopping for designer sneakers. Yes. Which are not even worn. They're just saved for I don't know what, future auctioning on eBay? Uh, probably. I or just collection? Friend, yeah, I have a friend that collects limited edition sneakers. It's something that I, I never understood. But again, I, people don't understand me buying video games. So it's, it's, it's an individual thing. I mean, so, so to me, that, that still goes back to individual choice. That when Julie talked about the designer you know, the sustainable designer that she was wearing. And of course, ATN's whole brand is about sustainable fashion. Uh You're right. The price points are much higher than fast fashion price points, but then you don't need to have as many pieces. And we go back to this concept of capsule wardrobe. Have you thought about that? Do you have a capsule wardrobe? Can you describe capsule wardrobe? So it's having a certain number of pieces. I don't know what the numbers are, anywhere from, let's say, 27 to 37, 39 pieces, I think, of all kinds of clothes, whether it's tops, bottoms, shoes, bags, etc. 
and being able to mix and match within that set and not purchase any more. And usually those the capsule wardrobe is, is seasonal. So there's 39 pieces per season, but maybe some of those pieces can be used for other seasons as well. Okay. One of the things that you guys mentioned where uh, Etienne Percy uh, said that about the garments, that look how many garments you have and how many garments do you actually wear. I think that's something that I learned because I realized in my closet, I do have a lot of clothing that I actually never wear. And part of it is because I've gone up and down in weight throughout different periods of my life. And I feel like, oh, well, I'm going to wear this when I lose weight or I'm going to wear this if I gain weight, right? So, so it really, it's something that um, it's important for me to pay attention to because I think that um, that focusing on how much clothing we actually need is something that I'm going to need to do. And we should be more conscious about that, right? We don't need that much clothing. And that applies to all forms of consumption, not just clothing, although clothing is amongst the uh, kinds of products that we consume more often. Like it applies to makeup. I know as a woman, I have a lot of different lipsticks, for example, a lot of different kinds of creams, a lot of different you know, eyeshadows, et cetera. And if you go back to Erica Garrett's philosophy, if you just have a few and you have a few products that can be used in different ways, like a a product that can be used for both blush and eyeshadow and lip gloss, for example, then that may be actually better because all those products too come in plastic and come in plastic packaging. And so then when you're disposing of them, you're, you're you're not contributing to zero waste, in other words. Right, exactly. And yeah, so I would actually, yeah, agree. There's so many things I think that we can do as individuals in order to help the environment. But again, no one individual is going to make a very significant impact. And I think that's why starting conversations and talking about it is really important for us to be able to make a a significant impact in society. Just if I speak to my family and my friends and and, and I have these points of views and I I lead by example, I think that... um, that could have an overall positive effect on the environment. Have you had conversations since you've listened to these episodes with your with your network of family and friends? And how have they responded? So it's it's really well under quarantine, it's it's not like I, I hang out with that many friends anymore. Oh, so you're you're not having virtual hangouts? I'm trying to. I'm actually working on, on doing that. I've been focused a lot on work, but yes, I should be having more virtual hangouts and I haven't. I I used to invite my friends over to my place and we would play video games. And I feel like they have continued to do that over, over discord. And I just, I haven't, I haven't put the time to do that, but it's something that I'm going to uh, make an effort uh, in the upcoming weeks. So that let's talk about, um, since we haven't had a chance to touch base since the lockdown uh, in New York city, where we're both located, you got sick, not from COVID, thankfully. And I'm just curious, like, how are you doing? Or how was that experience to be sick during COVID? And were you able to get support from your family and community while you were in need? Thank you for asking. Um, I, uh, I honestly, um, yes, I did get sick. It was, it was pretty bad for some time. But it was, it, it was actually a positive thing because I did get to do a lot of work from home and I didn't have to go out to the office for some time. And it, it actually benefited me for resting. When it comes to 
anything that I need. Luckily, I do have my parents who don't live that far from where I live. And they were able to help me with any medicine that I needed. But it, what I really needed to get better was that rest. And I think I got that. Overall, things have definitely changed when I do have to go out occasionally for shopping. Everything is different. The world has changed. I think the media has, has changed as well. I, I'm surprised to hear so much divide in even something that everybody should agree on. I, I just... What do you mean by that, Michael? Well, you know, like there's facts, there's uh, experts and, and we should all be listening to. And I feel that there's a lot of misinformation out there that's being spread by people that we should, that are in a position of, of that we should trust. And I think a lot of people support uh, a lot of views that are harmful, like like the idea that we should be more worried about the economy than about the lives of our citizens. And it, it's scary to think that a lot of people who have a lot of money who are going to be safe are very worried about their about the money that they're making and that they're losing and not as worried as the lives of a lot of our older population that are dying. Yeah. So you're saying that businesses are more concerned about getting their employees back to work rather than on the collective health and safety of our society. Absolutely. Yes. And this goes back to this whole concept of consumption, that our mm -hmm. society and culture is so driven by consumption that when there is an opportunity like this for us to really pause and take a, a break and reflect on our values and how we should spend our time and what is important to us, it exposes the underlying values of, of our capitalist society that consumption is more important and is being prioritized and profit being prioritized over health and safety. Exactly. And a lot of it is led through misinformation. Like one of the things that you also talked about in the podcast is how a lot of these companies are quote unquote going green and, and using these words that essentially don't really mean anything. And people want to make that change, right? People want to support the environment. People want to make sure that they're making choices that are overall healthy. And a lot of companies are sort of like being like pirates and taking these words and putting them out there, suggesting that, hey, you should, that this is good for the environment while it means nothing. Like going green is something that's not regulated by the FDA or anything. And it ultimately doesn't really mean anything. So a lot of companies are taking advantage by using misinformation or misleading people, I feel. Yeah, that reminds me when you use, use that phrase, reminds me of the food industry and how a lot of big food manufacturers are creating quote unquote organic food products for consumption. And yet right. the bulk of their product line is still processed food, right? And so if you're going to have a philosophy of wanting consumers to have access to healthier foods that's going to be better for consumption and better for their overall health to keep them from getting ill, for example, and from higher risk of getting diseases that processed foods we know can put you at risk of, then why not transform your whole product line? Why just provide a, a little bit of your product line that may be at higher price points and not, not everybody can afford? Right. I, and that's why I feel like a lot of these companies have a huge responsibility in both informing the public and paying attention to both our environment and where these products are coming from. 
to summarize the last set of conversations we had around sustainable fashion, Etienne Percy, who is the founder of 90-something Magnolia, talked about the concept of entrepreneurial power tools. Uh And I think that that's something that was a concept that I really liked. I love that term. And I love I love how it could be used and applied in so many different settings that we have power tools, not just to create as entrepreneurs, but I think we can also reappropriate that term and use it as a way to describe consumption. As consumers, what are our power tools? What do you think our power tools can be and should be as consumers? I think information. I mean, the more information we have to make an informed decision on what we buy is is going to be that major tool and our creativity sort of like what Atini Percy mentioned came to the conclusion with you um, where creativity comes from a place of not necessarily conforming but being who you are as an individual and bringing that to the table so you're saying not being susceptible to advertisers and advertisements which tell you what to buy, that you're actually kind of an an informed consumer and you actually research what you want to buy, what the ingredients are, what the process is for making that product before you decide whether you want to buy it or not. Absolutely. Yeah. That's something that we should definitely be doing more of. I I think even in in, um, episode 90 with Lynn Power, one of the things that she mentioned was that according to the research of the advertisement industry, where men, for example, are seen as more funny and more intelligent. And us recognizing these stereotypes that are completely false allows us to make better decisions and and seeing where the misinformation is. Because a lot of times we take things for granted and we we take things as they come and they become part of us without even thinking about it. So it's just something like recognizing where it is that our deficiencies lie and be able to to make a a decision, an informed decision. Great. So thank you, Michael, for this very rich discussion today. I hope that you continue to stay safe and be healthy. Continue to have these conversations in your community. Will do. Thank you so much, Terry. Thanks for listening to this episode of Engendered. The show is sponsored by Can Do It Q&A, a peer-based knowledge platform that connects social service providers in advice, community, and learning. You can join Can Do It Q&A for free at qna.kanduit.com. I'd love to get your feedback and hear any questions or suggestions you may have for the show. Please email us at engenderedpodcast at gmail.com with your questions.